Well, we are in a series of messages and uh, on being a Christ follower. And really, what does that mean? We call ourselves that, and that's kind of the new terminology that's been popular here in about the last 10 years. But really, what does that mean to follow Christ? As we get into the Word of God this morning in Romans chapter 8, one of the great, really great chapters in the Bible, uh, let me just share with you that uh, we're coming back, of course, as a church, the way many churches are, of course, uh, after COVID. And one of the things we're going to be having this summer is Vacation Bible School. I know uh, a lot of you have come through that before, and many young people are uh, not only saved and become Christ followers at that point, but also many um, know, uh, are discipled and know much more about the Bible as they come out of that. Now, one of the things I've heard and one of the things that Brother Barry, our children's pastor, has told us is that fewer and fewer uh, churches around the area are going to be having Vacation Bible School because of COVID. And so now we're having more children to register than we've ever had before, which means we're going to need some workers. And he informs me that we need 22 key leaders. Don't know what that means, but 22 key leaders and 40 support staff as well to staff it. It's going to be in the morning and uh, in June, and it's uh, located right there uh, on the website. You can sign up for it. But we need people to be involved. You can be involved in reaching uh, young children for Jesus Christ. It's a great investment of your time. Well, in Romans chapter 8, as we open up the Bible, uh, how many of you have seen any of the Avenger movies? Anybody here? Okay, the rest of you, have you heard of it? You know, you've heard Avenger movies? One of them is Captain America, and I've got a little picture before and after here, if we can get that up on the screen. There it is. Uh, this guy on the left, I don't know how they did Chris Evans that way, but he was a kind of a scrawny, skinny uh, kid, and then the guy on the right is, that's not really me, <laughs> you know. No, that's uh, Captain America, Chris Evans, after he takes this, this formula. And I don't know exactly what kind of concoction it really is, but it was supposed to make him a super soldier. Now, I want you to notice something here. It's not that he became this soldier overnight, soon by weightlifting more or working out a little bit more, eating something different. Rather, something had to go on the inside, really a foreign substance, on the inside to make him strong, to make him the superhero. Well, as we open up the Bible, so often we think Christ's following all has to do with something on the outside. We think to ourselves, well, it's, it's what you said last week, Pastor. It's like uh, the disciples got up each morning and said, well, which, which way is Jesus going today? And so, well, he's going to go to Capernaum. Well, let's just follow him to Capernaum. It's always something you feel like maybe we're doing on the outside. But the Bible presents the Christian life and being a Christ follower as starting really on the inside. It's an inside job that we have. In fact, when you think about the salvation experience, once you've received Jesus Christ into your heart, the Spirit of God comes to live inside your heart. And you give all you know about you to all you know about Christ, but you don't know very much about you. You don't know very much about Christ, and you begin to grow, as we've said here in the last couple of weeks. I would compare this to like adoption. In fact, uh, one of the things that happens to us when we get saved is that we're adopted into the family of God. Look in chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, at the salvation experience, it's like adopting a child. When you adopt a child, you've probably met the child. Uh, you've got to know them just a little bit. And then they leave the orphanage or they leave the foster care system and come into your home. At that point, things really change for them. But not totally. They don't know you yet. You don't know them as yet. They have not conformed to the culture of the family or the culture of the new neighborhood or the culture of the school. They begin to grow into it. When when you and I receive Jesus into our heart, we're certainly different. Our sins are forgiven. We've got a brand new lease on life. Old heart's gone, new heart's there. But we don't know a lot about God. We don't know a lot about ourselves. We haven't really totally found ourselves as yet. And on the inside, the Holy Spirit begins to do a great work in our life. And so, as we've said, as we follow Christ, we not only find Christ, but we find, find ourselves as well. Our true self. Romans chapter 8. Paul is writing to the, a letter to the church at Rome. It is the greatest doctrinal statement of any book probably in the Bible. Because Paul had never been to Rome, and Rome was the most important city in the world at that time. Very important that he get his thoughts out, that he get the doctrine out, that the church believes what it needs to believe. And as he's in a prison, writing from the prison in Rome, rather not in Rome, but he's writing from prison to Rome, and he's writing this letter, the first five chapters are all about salvation. It's about that adoption. It's about being justified by faith. But you see, it's a li- justification's like a legal term. I'm declared, and when I'm justified, it's like I'm standing in a courtroom and I'm looking up to the judge and the judge declares me not guilty based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us or, or for me. And so once I receive that, then I begin to what the Bible says calls being sanctified. I begin to grow in the Lord and be set apart in holiness for the Lord. And so as we look at this, adoption's really a legal term. You're being adopted, and now that's legal, but now the legality of it all is being worked out in real life. First five chapters are about salvation. The next three, Romans 6, 7, and 8, are about sanctification. That is growing in the Lord, being set apart by God as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage we find a key verse, I think really in the whole book, at least for me as I I read it. It says in verses 28 and 29, these two verses, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he did foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is that word conform? Why is that such a key word in Paul's presentation? We're going to look at that, and we're going to be looking at how we really grow in the Lord on the inside job, and then finally, we're going to see how it pertains and how it applies to the holiness in our life and what that means. First, we're going to look at the journey, then the tools, then finally the goal, the what, the how, and the why. First of all, the journey itself. I just read verses 28 and 29, and it says, we, we know, we know something, we know but those who love God, in other words, those who are called according to his purpose, kind of works together. It says, look, basically, Paul is summarizing something. He's summarizing the first five chapters, the last three chapters. And he's saying, look, for those who are Christ followers, you are saved. You've been born again, any way you want to put it. 
He says, all things work together for you. You're called according to his purpose. In other words, you're walking with God. There's an active relationship going on. Now, he doesn't say all things are good. You know, if I were to jump off the stage right now and break my ankle, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate probably for me to start praising God for that. And somebody else, well, your family's not going well, so I just want to praise God for that. Uh, Pastor, I have a praise. I'm about to go broke and, and be kicked out of my house. Those kind of things are just simply not good. But it's like a cake mix. I know many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. This is old, old, old stuff. Because now you can just go to Publix and buy the cake, right? You don't need to, to bake your own. But back in the day when my mom would bake a cake, she'd, or in fact, my grandmother was really great at it, and she would throw a little flour into the, into the pan. Have you, have you ever eaten flour before by itself? Oh, really awful. Vanilla extract, extract, you'd think that stuff was good, but you don't want to drink it by itself. Even the chocolate, oh man, you take a little and get that chocolate without sugar, it's awful. But when you put all those ingredients together, you come out with something really, really good. And God is saying, look, if you are a Christ follower and you're actively following me, nothing's going to happen to you without a purpose in life. And that purpose is to conform you more to the image of Christ. In fact, look in verse 29. It says, the purpose for those whom he foreknew, that is he knew in his foreknowledge, would be saved. He says, he also predestined. Now, usually the word predestined is really addressing the Christian believer, somebody that's already been saved, except most of the time in the Bible. And he's saying this, God in his foreknowledge knew who would receive Christ. And those who receive Christ, he has a pre-plan. That's what that means. Predestinated plan for you to do something, for something to happen to your life as a Christian believer. What would that be? He says, to be conformed, changed over, to the image of his son. The word conform means an idea of gradual. When you and I conform to the culture, what are we doing? Do we do that overnight? No, it usually takes a long time. It takes a long time for a culture to change in a nation. And once it does, it takes a long time for it to change back. It takes maybe a couple of generations to really reach uh, where a culture really comes in. And so you're conforming to the culture. You're conforming to the world. As a Christian, you're not conforming to Christ. You're conforming to the world. That means you're changing over to be like the world. And so the word conform could be positive, could be negative, but it means to change over to a different type of life. And this conforming, he says, to the image of his son. Now, we've talked about this before. In Genesis 1.27 let us make man in our own image after our likeness. The image, the icon. Like on your computer, you have an icon. And the idea was, is that Jesus Christ came and was the icon of God. Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The Bible is simply telling us this, that Jesus is God. He represented the Father and he revealed he revealed, he made visible what was invisible. He made the invisible God visible to us in his image. And he says, not only that, but now we are in the image of God 
and we're recreated in the image of God. We need to be conformed to his image. What are we doing? We're making the invisible Christ visible to the rest of the world. That's what God wants us to do. Now, notice it goes on to say in this verse, in the image, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. We've gone over that before. Declared not guilty before God and he also glorified. How are we going to be glorifying the Lord? We're going to be glorifying the Lord by allowing the Holy Spirit to change us in this life. In fact, this whole chapter, we could read on and on and on and on about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity working in our life. He says, look, the Spirit of God has come, Jesus said, to replace me, to glorify me. And he's coming into your heart in order to glorify me in your life, in order to conform you over to the image. He is the ultimate tool, you might say, to do that. He does it through the mind. Look in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit of God. What does he do to change us? What does the Holy Spirit do to change and conform us and change us over to the image of his Son? First of all, he deals with your mind and my mind. He gets ideas. How do you change a culture? You do away with the old ideas and you bring on new ideas. And sometimes you totally obliterate the old ideas totally without replacing it. There becomes a void. And so then you come in with the new ideas. But that's what it's all about. How do you change a culture? Old ideas are out, new ideas are in. It starts in the mind. So God wants to put the word of God into our heart by putting it, first of all, into our mind. Sound teaching of the Bible. Jesus, or Paul said this about Jesus. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So it's the heart, the, or rather the mind, but also it's the heart. Now we've said before, that the, the heart is the inner causal core of who you are. It's where you make your decisions. It's who you are. It's the real you. It's the true you. And he says it this way in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, that's what happens. The spirit of God dwells in you. He dwells in your heart as the Bible teaches. So there's a changing here, not only of your mind, but also in your inner being. And that's the key of who you are. You change who you are in relationship with God. Then your will comes out. In verse 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It, then he begins to change your will. You do things because of who you are. What you are begins to bleed out and you begin to do what God wants you to do in following Christ. Now, there's certain truths about growth that we need to look at real quickly. It's not automatic. You don't just simply grow automatic. You have to do it intentionally. It's a process. It is a gradual process. It's like us growing physically in this world. It's gradual. Then also it's not measured by age. I've known some people before. In fact, there's a friend of mine at the Cole Falls College came out of a really rough background. He'd been saved for about two years and he became a 
very good friend of mine, and I was amazed at his spiritual maturity. He seemed to know more and, and really was more mature than many of the people that I grew up with. So it's not just a matter of age. You heard about the guy that, uh, in fact, in the business world, you asked the question, all right, do you, it says here on your resume you have 20 years of experience. But the question is, do you have one-year experience 20 times, or do you really have 20 years of experience? So you and I can go over and over and over again. So it's just not a matter of how old you are. It takes time, number four in your outline. It takes time. It takes discipline. That's where many of us fall short. Many of us, the discipline to attend church, the discipline to ask God to really do something in your life when you come to church, the discipline to read the Bible, the discipline to pray. Then it takes submission to the Holy Spirit of God. So as we look at these things, we ask ourselves the question, then how, what do we use to get there? What are the tools that we do use to grow the inner core of who we are? And then finally, how it affects us. But real quickly, I'm going to go through these very fast. The tools, the Bible to teach us to know him. We, we know things about God because of this book. Because of the word of God, we know how to be saved, but we know about the character of God. We know who he is only by reading the word of God. Then trials in life to teach us. We see this in verse 28, where it says, we know that all things work together for the good. What's he talking about here? The church at Rome was going through trials just like you're going through trials, just like other churches were going through trials as well. All kinds of things were happening to their life. And he was trying to reassure them. He says, know this, take comfort in this, that all these trials that are happening in your life, God has a purpose in them all. Romans 5, 3 and 5 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering. Know this, that suffering does not happen to your life to punish you. If you are a Christ follower, all of your suffering or all of your sin that you have committed and I've committed died at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ died for all of your sins. And so it's not a tit for tat type of thing. Well, you know, I haven't been living right, so therefore God's just punishing me. No, the suffering could be, according to Hebrews chapter 12, a discipline in your life. God's trying to correct you. God's trying to get your attention. God's trying to say to you, look, you're going to have to have these things in your life in order to mold yourself or or, or for God to mold you and, and to make you what you really need to be. And so we look and we have the old illustration about the butterfly in the cocoon. The little boy that sees the butterfly trying to get out of the cocoon. And so he opens it up and helps him. Well, the butterfly gets out a little bit sooner, doesn't have to struggle but he never, he's never able to fly. Never able because it's the, str- it's the struggle of getting out of that cocoon that builds muscle within his wings to help him to fly. The butterfly will never be able to fly. We do our children that way sometimes, I think. We just get them out of everything and they're never able to fly. And without Jesus Christ coming into their life, They probably never will. 
And so the struggles in our life, the struggles help us to grow and be all that we need to be in Jesus Christ. Service, we'll come to that back, we'll come back to that at a later message. That's looking at Romans chapter 12. Time to teach us to appreciate God. Patience. If we get everything we want when we want it, we're not going to appreciate having it. And we're not going to appreciate God. Listen, it takes, if you want to grow a mushroom, you can do that overnight. But it takes 60 years to grow an oak tree. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes discipline. It takes the movement of the Spirit of God in our life. Well, what's the goal in all this? Where does it really fit in to holiness? And uh, we've sang about that today a little bit. How, what does it have to do with a holy life? We know you and I are living in a society that really holiness is really a negative term. You know, holiness and, you know, people are dressed in a certain way and really old-fashioned or holier, you're just holier than thou. But what does holiness really mean? Well, it doesn't just mean morality. Now, it's been said that Christians are champions of morality, and I, I think that's probably true. But people that are not following Christ can be moral. You know some of those. Maybe some of your neighbors, some of your friends at school, and, and they seem so moral in their life. My dad was a very moral man before he became a Christian. So it has to be more than that. And then you look in the Old Testament. And the book of Leviticus, when it's describing the temple and the tabernacle and all the, the inner workings of the worship of the, um, of the Israelites, they have holy pots and holy tables. Now, why, is it, why do you have a pot molded, say, by a, by a pottery maker, you know, pot, uh, potter? And, um, well, this is holy. Well, it's, it's moral. This, this pot is moral. You know, it doesn't cuss, smoke, drink, chew, run around with girls that do, you know, that kind of thing, you know. No, it's just a, it's just a perfectly moral pot or table. No, it has nothing to do with it. And so it has to mean something more than just simply uh, morality. Now, I know that uh, some of us take this book and kind of negative on it a little bit. And we say, well, this is just a bunch of rules. Just a bunch of rules. I've got to do this and don't do that. This is a book about relationship. A relationship with God. But it does include rules. And when you're raised by a good parent, it's about relationship. But there are rules. But there's a motivation to, uh, to obeying those rules, a right one and a wrong one. Suppose, uh, for example, there's a single mom here. And uh, you raise your son to be moral, to uh, feed the hungry and uh, minister and to go to church and to read his Bible and to do well in business and be ethical. And he goes off to college and he, he lives by that all the way through his high school years, his college years, and he graduates. And he says, Mom, I know you're living down the south, but I'm going to move up. Uh, out here uh, out west and I just appreciate so much you teach me all these things I'm going to continue to be moral I'm going to continue to to uh, minister to people I'm going to continue to go to church and and all these I'm going to continue to be ethical but I'll probably never see you the rest of my life 
I'll send you a Christmas card every once in a while, but you had a task to do, and now the task is over. Would that be good with you? No, it's about relationship. It's not just about teaching and just about the rules. The key is, why do we even obey the rules? Do we obey them because we have to? There's something uh, upon us. And we just say, okay, on the outside, I'm doing all these things. But on the inside, you know, I'm obeying on the outside, but I'm sitting down kind of thing on the inside. I'm disobeying on the inside. I don't feel it. I do it because I have to do it. That is putting rules ahead of relationship. And there's something that's not quite right with that relationship with God. And so what does it mean? What it means as we look in the Old Testament, we can, we can look at, say, the, the pot and the table and understand that they were separated. And the original word sanctified or to be made holy means to set apart and separate. The clay pots were taken and they were not used for anyone else. They were used for worship only. And they were put into the holy place or the holy of holies only to be used there. They were separated for God. The idea here is that the word holy has the idea of wholeness. This pot is, is not divided. It's not going to be used on a daily basis and then used for worship. No, it's wholly dedicated to the Lord. Holiness means to totally, you might say, find yourself. It means to be in touch with God so much that God wholly owns your heart and your life. Now, we know that takes a process. We know that's a process that will never end. But the intention on the heart is my causal core of who I am, my inner being. God, I want to get rid of all this other stuff in my life, and I want to take on more of God. That's what holiness is. When you are becoming more holy, you are getting rid more of the selfishness and the self-life, and you're taking on the more, more and more the life of God in you until you say, I'm wholly following the Lord. And the inside then takes care of the outside. Now, why should you even want that kind of thing? I mean, why should you want it? What's the motivation behind it all? And a lot of us feel like the teenage girl that was uh, being talked to by her pastor. You know, the parents were having a hard time. They brought her in. They're all sitting there. And uh, he said, look, you need to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He is raised again on the third day. You have been justified. You've been, you're now being sanctified. God lives in your heart. He is for you. He's not against you. Read Romans 8. It's all there. Isn't that wonderful? And she looked at him and said, yeah, but what good is that if nobody wants to date you? He said, well, that's kind of crazy. No, it's not. It's, it's, it was important to her. You may say, what difference does it make if my business life is not going? Nobody wants to buy my product. What difference does it make if, if I can't do what I need to do because of COVID? What difference does it make if this is not coming about in my life the way I, I want it to? What's the benefit to it all? Why should we want it? Notice it says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also freely and graciously give us all things? 
Then skip down to verse 27. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow, what a word. More than conquerors. Because see, in the, new, in the uh, Bible times, when you went in and conquered another nation, you owned them. There's none of this restructuring and rebuilding a country. You owned them. Those people became your slaves because you totally conquered them. Now, you can remember the story of the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Israel. One was captured by Assyria, and they scattered everybody. They, they own the country now, and they scattered all the Israelites everywhere so they wouldn't be a threat anymore. That's why we hear about the, the lost tribes of Israel. The other one, Babylon came in and conquered the other, and about a couple hundred years later, 150 years later, and they kept them all together because they'd get more use out of them as slaves if they were together. More than conquerors. Listen, as Jesus Christ has come into our heart, and as more and more we get rid of things in our life and the holiness of God takes hold in our life and the growth takes place in our life, we become more than conquerors, no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to habits, no longer a slave to addictions, no longer a slave to uh, attitudes in our life that are just not right. We can be more than conquerors of all those things. Galatians 5 uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. All of these things in our life, the things that we are seeking out in life, we become more than conquerors through Him. You see, it's only the Holy Spirit that can give you the courage to have insight into your own life and what you need to repent of. It's only the Holy Spirit that can give you the desire to follow him. It's only the Holy Spirit, as he begins to to take control of your life more and more and your heart wholly belongs to God, can motivate, only the Spirit can motivate the changes in your life. It took something to go inside of Captain America to get him changed. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our heart, our life. And what happens is, is that what happens on the inside becomes who we are and therefore we can act on the outside. We do minister. We do love. It's not, I have to do this. I have to give up this sin or I have to give up this habit. No, I I get to, to give up this sin. I get to give up this habit. I get to minister in his name. I get to do those things. Why do we feel that way? Because something is changing on us on the inside. It's not a matter of rules. It's a matter of relationship in our life. That's what it means to follow Christ. I love the story. I'll close with this. I love the story of Max Dupree, leadership um, writer and um, author, author and speaker. Uh, said in one of his books, I think it's Leadership Jazz, when he tucks, takes the story of his granddaughter, that was born um, premature. The story has it where the husband, his son-in-law, left his daughter while the pregnancy was going on. She goes in the hospital early, has a premature baby, and he's just sitting there, he said, in the incubator, and he doesn't know what to do. 
you know, he's on the outside in the glass. And so he, he asked one of the nurses, he said, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a doctor, nurse, but if there's anything I can do to help. And she said, yeah, there is something you can do. So you can come in here. And so he came back there and got all the uh, masks and the robes on. And he said, I want you to put your hand inside this little uh, place. And they have these openings. Where they can go in and actually um, minister and help uh, the baby without taking it out of the incubator. And he says, I want you to put your hand in there. And I want you to just gently rub her arm and talk to her. When she matches your voice with your touch, it'll have some strengthening and maybe healing processes for her. So day after day, he would rub the little arm and he would talk to her and the voice would match the touch. And he drew a lesson from it. He says, when our voice, this is who we are, who we are, matches our touch, what we do, that's when great things are going to happen. That's when you have that, you might say, emotionally at least, healing touch on other people. It happens on the inside, and therefore, it'll happen, it will happen on the outside. Let's bow for prayer. This morning, before we, we'd like to have an altar call today, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like to address just for a moment those who have never received Christ. You don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you because you've never been justified, declared legally before God's throne, not guilty of sin. And you do that by becoming a Christ follower, by receiving Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart, into the causal core of who you are. Whether you're watching at home or you're here, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would like that relationship with God, bow your head right now and pray with me this prayer. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up my heart. I ask you to come in to save me and to help me grow to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.